you see something broken, it's your obligation to try to fix it. This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, episode number 223. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the L3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I am your host. I hope you're doing well. In today's episode, you'll hear my friend Jason Wolf, CEO of Wolf LLC, share his story and some of his advice for entrepreneurs. And we recently had Jason speak at one of our speaker series events here in Pittsburgh, and he was incredible. And so in this episode, again, you'll hear him share his story. And in episode number 224, you'll actually have an opportunity to listen to our entire question and answer session with Jason, which was incredible. So I encourage you to listen to both. And if you love the content that Jason is is providing here, you can actually go back uh, Uh, And we interviewed him in episode number 58 of the podcast as well. So lots of content from Jason. If you connect with him in this episode, I encourage you to listen to all three. They are all fantastic. And if you're unfamiliar with Jason, let me give you just a few things that you need to know about him. One, and I don't want to spoil this, but he has an amazing story and he'll share it in this episode. But for me personally, as I've watched Jason and learned about his life, I am just, I just can say that I am always inspired by someone who's able to rise out of unfortunate circumstances and do something great with their life. And Jason has, and I've admired the way he's led uh, his companies from a distance. I admire the way he lives his personal life and some of the things he's done there. And again, uh, you're just in for a treat when you get to hear him share his story in this episode. Uh, A little bit of background in Jason and business. In 1995, he founded the first online coupon site known initially as couponsdirect.com. And after growing the company, he sold it to a competitor for roughly 20 Three million dollars in 2000, and then he reacquired it in 2002. He then began to build an affiliate tracking technology and platform called Direct Response Technologies, and he sold that company to Digital River in 2006 for 22 million. And in 2008, Jason launched GiftCards.com. Uh, that company was acquired by Blackhawk Network Holdings in 2016 for 120 million, and he is now the CEO and founder of a company called Giftia, in which he is trying to disrupt the gift card industry. Jason's an incredible entrepreneur. He's an incredible leader, and you're just going to love this talk. But before we dive into it, just a few quick announcements. One, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It means the world to me. Thousands of podcasts out there, so thank you for joining in. And if this podcast adds value to your life, it would mean the world to me if you would share this with your friends that you think it would add value to as well. Think of you know three to six other leaders, send them a link to the podcast, encourage them to subscribe as well, and uh, that'll help us grow our audience. So thank you for that. I also want to thank our sponsor, Henny Jewelers. They're a jeweler owned by my friend and mentor, John Henny. My wife, Laura, and I got our engagement and wedding rings through Henny Jewelers, and we just love them as an organization. Not only do they have great jewelry, but they also invest in people. In fact, they give every couple that's engaged that comes in their store a book to help them prepare for their marriage, and we just love that. And so if you're in need of a good jeweler, check out hennyjewelers.com. With that being said, let's dive right into Jason's story, and I'll be back at the end with a few announcements. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm going to need a microphone, but we'll, we'll see. Um, so yeah, thank you, Doug. I appreciate the uh, introduction and having me tonight. Um, I was out at the uh, statewide adoption network yesterday. I'm on the board, and they decided that they were going to have their all-hands meeting, 350 women and and me and four guys. And um, I was on sort of a panel talking about, you know, adoption, about men that are going through the adoption and foster care program. So, and I'm fortunate enough to be going through that process right now. So I intended to write some material 
so that I had stuff to talk about. But I got caught up because they stuck me on a panel, and I was I was in the thing all day, so I didn't get a chance to write anything down. But Doug said to me, give a little bit about your journey, talk a little bit about being an entrepreneur, some leadership skills that maybe I can pass on to you guys if you find some interest in it. I did jot down some notes today. Hopefully, this will be helpful. So my journey goes back to, and I'll spend probably 10, 15 minutes. I could probably spend hours on it. Um, but the brief version of my journey starts back when I was young. My um, my mom and dad, my dad worked for the CIA. We lived outside of uh, Western Virginia, or in Western Virginia, outside Washington. My mom was a beauty queen. My dad's boss was George Bush Sr. I can remember riding a bike. I remember all the great things of my life at the time. And then I was six years old, six or seven. My dad loads us up into a car his car, and drives us up to Connecticut where my mother's family was from. And he drops us off. And I remember my dad leaving. And I I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't see my father again for about 20 years. And he left. And my mom was acting strange. I didn't know what was going on. Well, it turns out my mom had a nervous breakdown. She She ended up being taken away. As I remember, they called us to the hospital. I go to the hospital. My sister and I are playing. My mom's back in some room. She comes running out with a straitjacket on. And they took her away for two years to a mental institution because she was really, really bad. She gets out. So we pop around from family to family, you know, member to member. I have a caseworker now. Ironically, I'm going through the foster care program, and I'm seeing these two girls I have. And I recall being one of those kids. Uh, going from this family member to another family member to strangers, to people that just watch us for a while. My mom eventually gets out of um, the mental institution. And back then, they used to shock people. And I don't think they do that anymore. And she came back sort of like a zombie. And they allowed her to take the kids back. So we lived with her, and I, we lived on welfare. And, you know, I can remember there's three of us, my brother, my sister, myself, laying under a blanket during Christmas with no heat in the house, knock on the door, go to the front door, look outside, see a frozen turkey and some games because people all, everybody in the neighborhood knew who we were because we were the poor ones, right? We were the poorest kids. And, you know, I had like two shirts that I would go to school with. So life was not, you know, life went from idealistic to a very serious struggle. Um, As the Lord would have it, we were uh, in a Catholic setting, and one of the nuns said, hey, there's a school down in Hershey, Pennsylvania called the Milton Hershey School. Maybe you should look into it. So my mother went down to Hershey and looked into it, my grandparents, of course. Um, does anybody here know what the Milton Hershey School is? Raise your hand. Who does not? Okay. So Milton Hershey is the founder of the Hershey Chocolate Company. And in 1909, he and his wife, um, they couldn't have children. They started an orphanage. And when he died, um, they couldn't have children. So when he, his wife died, he spent all his time with the kids. 1945, when he passed away, he left his entire fortune to the trust. So today, when you buy a Hershey chocolate bar, if anybody buys one today or tomorrow, look at the back of the wrapper. You'll see that there's a little paragraph back there that talks about it. And that school helps 2,000 students every year 
or all the time because you live there. Like you live there. You live in a home with other kids, and 76% of the voting stock of the Hershey Chocolate Company is owned by the trust. The trust today is $15 billion, so it helps a lot of children. So we went down there, and I'll never forget September 20th, 1980, and it was a cool, crisp fall day. Uh, some of you may have been born then, probably watching football, you know, it's a, it was a Sunday, and I remember going to Founders Hall, and I remember standing there as my mom and my grandparents walk away, and I didn't know what was going on, I was 10 years old, and they never came back. And so I grew up in this school, and I graduated when I was 18, and, <clears throat> you know, I'd go home to my mom's house, my grandparents, once a year, maybe, twice, and when you graduate in 1987, you got a suitcase of clothes and 100 bucks. And they basically, that's it. They didn't say, hey, you know what? You know, here's some more help. They basically just said, hey, kick you out. So I remember sitting on a curb with my suitcase and my $100 check, although I couldn't get 100 bucks for it because I had no bank account. So I had to go to the check casher. I learned what a check casher was. And so I got probably $67 or something like that. And I had to figure out what to do. So what I ended up doing was trying to put myself through college. I got a job as a bartender uh, eventually, and then I got into sort of whitewater raft guiding and stuff, and I became an outdoorsy guy. And I eventually got through college, and um, I was in an accident. And it was in Katanning. So I was actually from Hershey, and I moved out here because I was chasing a girl, and I was living down in Deep Creek, Maryland, and I was a guide at Ohio Pile, and I was in an accident. And I had uh, two major spinal surgeries. So I had fusion of the C5, C6, um, and I couldn't, couldn't do anything. The girl that I was with kind of thought I was sort of a loser because by now it's 1995, and I'm sitting on the computer, and I'm trying to learn how to write code, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, I lost all this weight because I wasn't eating, and it was terrible. And she was, she was Jewish, and... That becomes relevant later in the story. She ends up uh, breaking up with me, <clears throat> and so I have nowhere to go. So I have no, no family here, no other place to live, because she paid the rent, and I had nowhere to go. So I basically sold my stuff and lived in my car. And my friend, I had a friend that said, well, if you want to, you could put your computer inside my office. And I was like, yes. And his office also had a shower, so I was able to take a shower there. And then I'd get in my car, and I'd go drive down a road, and I'd sleep, and I would drive by the light of life. And I thought so many times of going in there, which was one of the reasons why I, in the past, have donated, and I still donate to light of life, because I know what it was like to be there, where you have nowhere to go, and no family. Recovering from major spinal surgery, and I had tinnitus, major facial issues, because I hit my face on the crossbar or the hang glider. And so... As God would have it, I got a book from CompUSA, and it's, it was Learn Perl in 21 Days, so I learned how to write software. And I was self-taught. I taught myself how to write code, and I created the first coupon website, and that was in 1995. So from there, I hired my first employee, and I paid her $50 a month. And she'd go around the internet, and she'd find all these coupons, and I'd be writing the code, and I'd be all doing all the graphic design work, and I'd be like, you know, putting stuff on the website, and we were getting traffic to our website. We went from, you know, I made 4000 bucks I think, in 96, 
97 was like 30-something, 98 was 180, 99 was a million. I raised a half a million in venture capital. And then eventually I sold that in 2000, right before the bubble burst for 20, 22, 23 million. So eventually I got, eventually moved out of the car. <laughs> and, um, you know, as I was going through that struggle, I was, you know, sitting in a bathtub before I started to make it as I was homeless. A friend was letting me, you know, take a shower there, I told you. And I was just sitting there. I just didn't want to live. I was like, I don't want to live. I have no family. I have these major spinal surgeries. I've got tinnitus now. I don't even know what I'm going to eat. And I prayed that the Lord would come into my life. And from that moment on, he did. Which I believe enabled me to be successful in business. So it was 2000. And, um, you know, that bathtub situation was in like 90, 96 In 2000, I got the tap on the shoulder. Hey, Jason, remember you said you were going to give your life to, you know, you said, you know, I'm going to help you and you're going to be my buddy and you're going to, you know, give the word to people because I helped you get out of the situation. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, now I have to start going to church. (laughs) So I did. And I was sat in the back. I was the last guy in, the first guy out type of thing for years. And um, I was able to build the next company, which was Direct Response Technologies, which grew from, you know, after I sold the, the coupon business, there was a little bit of, you know, the dot-com bubble bursting, and the company I sold to didn't pay their full balance to us, so we created another company called Direct Response, which we grew to about 75 people, and then I sold that in 2006 for about $22 million. Um, and then I... Then I started another company that was a video ad technology. So the video ads that you see, um, we had a power behind that. So I sold that to a, a private equity firm in 2010 for 15 million. Then I focused on giftcards.com and I built that to 120 employees and I sold that um, 2016 for 120 million. And so now I have four or five different companies that I invest into underneath this wolf company that sort of, um, owns all this stuff. So that's my journey, sort of going from, you know, decent to, I don't know, crap, I guess, to kind of eventually getting out of that and making it in life. So that was my journey to where I am today. And now I'm building this product called Giftja, which, again, being in the gift card business for as long as I have been, I realized that the product is actually broken because... A lot of our revenue was generated when people didn't use their cards. A lot of it, that, you know, that was what powered our company. When people would lose their card, we were making money. So what kind of gift is that where you're making money when people don't use it, right? And so I kind of felt bad about that. I was like, this is terrible. And then I started seeing these news articles coming out, and I started getting phone calls from law enforcement, and then I started realizing, you know what? These gift cards are also being used for prostitution and child trafficking majorly because they're not traceable. And so what prostitutes will do is they'll accept gift cards as a form of payment and uh, because they're not holding cash. And so if they get pulled over, they don't have a bunch of cash on them. they got gift cards. The police don't bother them and they let them go. So, but on those cards is money that could be then sold in the secondary market for cash. And so 
I realized all this stuff, and as I said, as a Christian, I felt like now here it is again, knocking on my shoulder. You are obligated, you see something broken, as it's a redemptive thing, as I'm broken, you need to fix it. So we created a thing called Giftia, which is a gift credit. So the concept is inside your wallet, you probably have a Visa or MasterCard. Most people here. Yeah. So if I got uh, Benjamin a gift gift for um, Starbucks, he would get a text message from me. He'd say, oh, cool, Jason got me this Starbucks gift gift because we just had coffee. And he links his Visa card to it, just like Venmo. And the next time he goes to Starbucks, we identify the transaction, we credit his card with a gift. And so there's no more gift card. And so there's no more loss. There's no more criminal activity. And so that is what I'm building today as one of my core businesses. So, yeah, Um, when you're given money or success, I believe you need to give back. Very important. And when you see something broken, it's your obligation to try to fix it. So some of the things I wanted to talk to you about, about being an entrepreneur, people, and leadership, aside from my journey, one of the things I like to do is tell the story about kind of um, the, the idea of going to college and the four-year process. So when you're in elementary school, I mean, that's four years, right? And then you're in middle school, and that's kind of four years. And then you get to high school, and that's what? Four years? And then you go to college, and that's what? Four years? <laughs> And there's a pattern here, right? And then there's the four years after college, which you're going through, you're finding yourself, and then you may get married, and you have four, then you have kids, and then you're going through their four-year process. And I have found, since I've built, like, what, five companies from nothing to something, it takes four years. And just like when you go to college, or you're a freshman, and you're wandering around trying to find the class, and you get lost, you get drunk, you drink too much, you fail... You fail out as business, same thing. And then you get to your second year and you're, you make a decision which is bad, right? And then the Greek term for sophomore is moron, right? So it's typical because you make a stupid mistake. And that's how it is in business. You may rely on one client too much and they don't pay you and you're out of business. And so I've looked at you know growing companies that way. By the time you're your third year, you're living off campus, you got a job, you know, you got maybe a car, and so you're connected. And by the fourth year, you know, you know what's happening. And for in my case, it took me five years into college, but some people four or five years. And so it's so I've seen this pattern over and over and over. It's happened for every company I've done, and it's happened for most of the people that I know that are successful. And so I would just say think about that if you're in business or you're thinking about starting a business, where you are in your business, that it's a minimum of four years and you're going to have to eat ramen noodles and you're going to have to struggle and people that get a bunch of money and then they don't go through this a lot of times fail because there is a four-year process that you do have to go through, in my opinion, my opinion only, only my opinion, to be successful, you know? And so... That's what I've learned. I'm going through it now with Giftia. I see the same thing happening. And we're in our second year. I can see where we are. People are all freaking out and nervous around me. And I'm like, nah, it's okay. We're fine. But uh, remember that. Try to think about that. The other thing, two more things. 
The next thing I would encourage you to do if you're building a business is to think about people first. Um, a lot of times when you're trying to build a company, what you'll do is you'll hire people because you need the talent and the talent will supersede the person's value system because you need the talent because you're building a company. And my advice is to not do that. My advice is to put your culture down first, understand what your value system is first, and hire people because they fit your culture and value system and not because of some talent that they have. I've only learned that after building multiple companies and being frustrated. By the time I got to my fourth company, and this one here that I'm building now, we hired uh, Lisa Slayton from the uh, Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation came in, and we set down culture right away, right off the bat. We got everybody involved. We worked on our values. We had everybody working together, doing the MCOR and the DISC and everything, understanding strengths and weaknesses. We had people kind of self-selecting, which is cool, right? Because they don't fit. That's fine. They self-select. And I would strongly suggest doing that because at the end of the day, as you're building your company, the reality is it's your people. It's not you. So once you get over yourself and realize that's what it is, um, focus on the people. Focus on the people that you're hiring and make sure that they fit into the uh, value system that you have. Um, I was at church last week down at Deep Creek. pastor there said to me, too, that said to the whole place, to the whole congregation, that you are a sum of your five closest friends. I thought about it. I was like, what are you talking about? Add them up? Stack them up? The reality is, like, think about your five closest friends. Think about their value system. And you are the average of those five people. The same thing happens in a company. So very, very important to hire the right people and have them fit culturally. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is one of the biggest predictors of success. And I was just watching a, a TED Talk, and you guys can write this down if you'd like. It, it was by Angela Lee Duckworth. And you can look it up, Angela Lee Duckworth. And she did a TED Talk, and she was talking about the characteristic that is a predictor of success. And very interesting. What do you guys think the, the, the uh, personal characteristic of a person is that determines how successful they'll be? I, who says IQ? Intelligence. No. Um, kindness. Integrity. Uh, what else is there? Willing to take a risk. Grit. He got it. That's right. It's grit. I didn't think anybody was going to get it, but that's true. She says that grit is the is the character characteristic or character trait that they've been able to identify as the character trait that is indicative of people that become the most successful. And they're actually trying to now teach this. They're trying to boil it down to figure out how to teach this to, I might even be able to talk, but hello, hello, hello. They're, they're trying to boil this down to try to teach this to kids because, you know, they've, they've learned that 
uh, kids with the highest IQ tend to not be those. The, the nicest kids tend not to be those. And, and the characteristic of the, the, the person who goes above and beyond. And I remember I used to call it, you know, when people say, how come you're making? I said, because I'm like a cockroach. You step on me, I just keep going. And then I said, that doesn't sound so good. <laughs> Grit sounds way better. Yeah, so look it up. And how many minutes I got? A couple minutes left? Okay. So, you know, I said about Milton Hershey, you know, giving his entire fortune, I believe it's very important, too, as you become successful to give back. You know, because without Milton Hershey, I would not be here today. So I, I try to say that a lot when I speak. And I like to close here with um, a passage from the Bible as well. It's Revelations twelve eleven. And it says this, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Okay. And I say this because I believe that is very important for us to tell our stories to people. This is how people learn. And this is, it says in the Bible, um, my testimony, and I gave you my journey, is my testimony to hopefully touch people um, in business, of course, but also in what's important in life. And so that's all I got. Thank you for listening. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Jason Sherry's story and some tips on entrepreneurship. Again, you can find ways to connect with Jason and what he's doing and links to everything that he discussed in the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 223. As I mentioned earlier, you can also listen to our entire question and answer session with Jason uh, from the event in episode 224. So I encourage you to dive over to that episode and listen to that now. And if you really like his content, you can listen to our initial interview, which is in episode number 58 of the podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, Alex Tulandon. Alex is a full-time realtor with Keller Williams Realty. And if you're looking to buy or sell a house in the Pittsburgh market, Alex is your guy. He's a member and a supporter of L3 Leadership, and he would love to have an opportunity to connect with you. You can learn more about Alex at pittsburghpropertyshowcase.com. As always, again, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and share this on social media or send the link to someone and help us spread the word. Thank you so much for that in advance. It really does help us grow. And if you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing here at L3 Leadership, you can sign up for our email list at l3leadership.org. And you'll get a free copy of my ebook, Making the Most of Mentoring, which is my step-by-step process for getting meetings and cultivating relationships with mentors. I think it'll help you immensely. As always, I like to end with a quote, and I love Brian Houston quotes. And Brian Houston said this recently. He said, a leader's goal, be an opportunity giver and a people believer. When you want the best for people and help them grow and become better, you will build great people. And isn't that all of our jobs as leaders? Hey, thank you so much for listening and being a part of L3 Leadership. Laura and I appreciate you so much, and we will talk to you next episode. 